Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton here with America Now. Thank you so much for joining me. A, A pleasure and an honor to have your company today here in the Freedom Hut. A lot of things to get into today. You've got the Democrat and media all-out war, no-holds-barred approach to all things Trump. You've got Hillary is back, kind of. She gave a speech in San Francisco. We can talk a bit about what that's that's all about. Uh, Also, the continuing Nunez, Russia, Trump, surveillance, investigation, all that stuff. Uh, We'll have the latest on that. And maybe a New York Times great moment in fake news to get into as well, along with some other things. And by the way, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK is what you should call if you want to chat with me. Let's uh, let's get into that, shall we? Uh, whatever it is you have on your mind. Now, uh, you will notice a a theme, and it's not a hard one to pick up on. A theme in the media right now when it comes to the status of the Trump administration. Uh, You have a a headline here, reeling Republicans desperate for a win on Gorsuch. You know, just, oh, the Republicans are in, they're in disarray. Every two weeks, we're told the Republican Party, or really every other week, uh, or every week, I should say, uh, we're told the Republicans are in some state of disarray. Uh, And then we're told that they're going to steamroll all of the institutions of democracy and destroy everything. And and Trump is is a monster and a fascist. And then he's ineffective. And it's it just switches back and forth. This is what I mean by all out war against Trump. This is also why the battles over fake news and you can tell that the very real and visceral hostility that the media has for this administration comes out all the time. Uh, they have this this narrative that Trump is inconsequential and effective uh, when it comes to health care, for example, but he's also destroying the world because of his climate change rules repeal. You know, it, it's I, I just want to ask the major networks this question. Is he a dictator or is he incapable? Because it, it really can't be both. He, he can't be both. He can't be in charge of everything. And incapable of getting anything done or incapable of doing anything. Those don't go together. You see this from the stories that they pick. Um, It's how they tell the story, of course, also. That is a major part of this. It's all tied in together as this anti-Trump narrative. And we see on the Gorsuch, the looming Gorsuch nomination, uh, the fight that's coming over this, a moment where I hope... Republicans decide that it's time to fight back. Uh, You see the stories. Oh, there's uh, all this 
sense of what are we going to do now and where, where the agenda has been run off the road and there's so many problems and there's all this stuff the Republicans have to deal with and they might not even get the 60 votes they need for Gorsuch to become the next Supreme Court nominee. You know what? Sometimes you have to be willing to just throw down. Sometimes you have to be willing to go nuclear. And Republicans on this issue better go nuclear. Uh, because if they're going to look, if they're going to try to gauge public sentiment based on the way that you see all these different media reports describing the administration and, oh, what's the sense from within the administration? The Republican agenda, it's been diverted. He's reaching out to Democrats. There's no method to all this madness. The, The Republicans need to turn this whole thing around and they need to do it right now. And for a lot of those who had their misgivings about Trump, I have to say the Supreme Court and the the pick of Neil Gorsuch as the next Supreme Court nominee or next Supreme Court justice, assuming he gets through, quieted at least some portion of their fears that Trump would be uh, destructive to the Republican Party, that there, there would be no good. And there are some never Trumpers out there. I know the conservatives who thought there's and still think that there's no good that could come out of a Trump administration, despite the fact that he beat Hillary Clinton. I see this and I, I have at least one. There's one issue here the Supreme Court, where even even the most ardent never-Trumper on the right should say, well, th- this is important, this matters, this is big. Uh, we're going to be talking about using the law as a weapon instead of using the law for justice throughout this hour. It's one of the m- most important traits of the Democratic Party uh, that, that they like to use, they like to criminalize po- uh, political differences they, they don't just want to use speech codes to shut down what they don't like on campuses, although they certainly want to do that. They don't just use hostile workplace law or uh, uh, you know, hostile or, or harassment law, any of those things, for the purposes of shutting down speech that they don't like in the workplace um, or that they don't like in general. They also use the law as a weapon to destroy people's careers and to take away their freedom for political differences, not for what would be honest uh, enforcement priorities. We'll get into some of those, obviously, the Planned Parenthood videos and the fact the fact that they're facing 15 felony, uh, 15 felony charges for the same kind of undercover journalism that has been played on, you know, national news broadcasts countless times. But we'll get there Uh, first on the response to this, uh, the response to the onslaught, because that's what it is. There's an onslaught right now against this administration. They want to uh, stymie it. They want to uh, hobble it. They want to to just create not not just a, a slowdown in any momentum that it has in the beginning, in the first hundred days, uh, but to wound it so that there's really no major policy victories. Uh, and whatever they can do to that end, they'll do. If that means that they have to all act as appendages of the Democratic Party, the media will do that. If it means that Democrat politicians will just take completely nonsensical stances, whether on a Supreme Court nominee like Gorsuch, we've got people in the Senate who all unanimously voted for this guy to the federal bench, and now they're all saying, oh, he can't even get 60. So he can get whatever it was, 98 votes, I think, was the final tally for the federal bench, but he can't get... 60 votes now for the Supreme Court. It's just politicization. We understand that. 
This is a political fight that's playing out in the realm of a judicial appointment. It has nothing to do with his qualifications. It has nothing to do with, well, what the expectations should be when you have a new president who is supposed to be in a position to appoint a Supreme Court justice. Uh, but they're not up against they're not up against a team that fights fair. And, and I think that's what brings everything, whether we're talking about using the law as a weapon, the media onslaught, all of this. It's not about fair. If we're going to sit around and, and I worry that some conservatives, because we're used to to obeying the rules, we're used to playing fair. And we have a sense of fairness that sometimes even goes against our immediate interests, whether it's on policy or even just in our day-to-day lives. You know, we, we will do what we think is right, even if it's painful or annoying or difficult. Democrats, the whole, the whole Democrat mantra is, yeah, whatever. If, 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 you, if it helps you win or if it makes you feel good, go for it. Eh. Honor. Honor's for chumps. So we have a built-in weakness, not an ethical weakness, but a political weakness. It's an ethical strength, but politically our... Uh, wanting to be fair and fair-minded and work within the bounds of uh, what you know the, the most genteel approach whenever possible to these policy disputes, this is to our real disadvantage. And on the Gore- on the Gorsuch nomination, and look, I, w- I want to talk to you about a whole host of issues uh, that we re- we really need to gain some momentum in in tackling, whether it's on health care or tax reform. These are complex issues that require uh, a lot of thought, and we need to help motivate some of these elected officials in D.C. to get going and to do what needs to be done so that there can be change from these politicians that always promise us they're going to do all these fantastic things. And so far, uh, what do we have to show for all of that? So let me just go back to Gorsuch for a moment here. Uh, they say that Republicans are desperate for a win. I don't think that that's true. I think they're overstating it. I think they're overplaying their hand. Um, but we do need a win on Gorsuch. Uh, we do need to be in a position where finally people can say, all right, check that one off. We've got a Supreme Court nominee who's an originalist, who and I think there's a little bit of, of dancing around this issue. Who has a more conservative worldview? He's not a progressive. He's not. A, he's not a leftist. He views the court as just a a legislature without any votes attached, uh, without any votes needed. That's that is what it means to be an originalist in the modern environment, the modern judicial environment we're talking about here. Uh, it, it means that you just don't buy into that, but it also means you're you're going to be more conservative. They, the Republicans better go to the mat on this one. Um, I, I think they will. You have Mitch McConnell telling his leadership earlier this week, according to Politico, that Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch is not going to get, is probably not going to get the 60 votes needed to avoid a filibuster. But he said, Mitch McConnell, uh, he said that they should have no problem about pulling the nuclear option. Feel no guilt is the quote that they have attributed to McConnell here. Feel no guilt. That's a very profound message for the Republicans on Capitol Hill right now, and maybe even some in the White House too. You have to take action. You've got to get it done on Gorsuch and then on a whole bunch of other issues too. 
the other side, and this is, I, I think that some members of Congress have forgotten this, that the American people and those who, well, certainly the Republicans, for eight years sat around and it felt like we were constantly getting punched in the face by what we were seeing on the TV screen about how the Democrats were just pushing, just jamming everything they could through when they could, didn't care about any, didn't care that they were not representing uh, the issues accurately or properly. Memory had to pass this bill to see what's in it. There was no, there was no shame in their game. They did not care. And we sat around and we said, okay, we need to organize. We need to vote. We need to talk about the issues because our time will come. Well, with seven years of that and then the Obamacare uh, problem that we've seen so far, the Obamacare misfire, uh, it's time to get something done. It's time to take action. And I would like to see the GOP go nuclear on Gorsuch's nomination. Yeah, I know people say, well, Puck, you're opening up Pandora's. They already opened it up. They opened it up before. And people say, well, you know, that's because well, that's the Republicans were playing fair. That's how they they got. What was it? Uh, Kagan and Sotomayor. Republicans said Obama's president. OK, so these are his choices. We don't have enough grounds to say no. These are his choices. If Democrats are going to do what they do, which is not play fair, we've got to roll up the sleeves and get this done. As a friend once told me at a very important time in my life when I was didn't know what to do, he just kept telling me, just kept writing to me, kept emailing me, texting me, take action. Don't sit around. Don't whine. Don't complain. That's my message to the Republicans right now. Take action. And if that means you got to go nuclear, we, you know, we better see that more metaphorical mushroom cloud, politically speaking, uh, because it's time it's time to get serious here. It really is. All right, uh, Evelyn in North Carolina on WPTI. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I want to tell you how much I enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, thank you. The reason I'm calling today is I am so tired of this spiteful politics, not only on the Democratic side, but also on these other Republicans who won't support the president. And... You know, a house divided can't stand. Well, neither can the country. And the spitefulness has to stop. I'm proud to call Donald Trump my president. And if they would just let him do what he needs to do, we can make a lot of improvements here. And um, I also hope that they're not going to rush the um, Obamacare um, replacement. They have to take their time and get it right this time. And, yeah, uh, I think that's that's a, a loss that's mostly on. I mean, it's on the legislature. I know it's under Trump's administration, but he he didn't he didn't write the bill. He's he's no, the president. He turns around. He says to the Congress, "All right, guys, you've got all your wonks and all your policy people and all your staffs and and let, let, let's go. Let's get the uh, health care. Pro- you've been. I mean, I, I can understand Trump's position is you guys have passed like sixty re- repeal and replace bills. You don't have something ready to go." Uh, how, how is that even possible? No. And, uh, you know, they didn't, they really didn't do right by the president. They really didn't work hard enough to get consensus and to hear what the arguments against it were. 
And yeah, well, they- there are some pho- there are some phonies, Evelyn. That's part of the problem too. There are people that run for office on the Republican side who say one thing, and then when they're when they're there, they do another. And part of the swamp that needs to be drained involves that which is inhabited by Republicans that pretend to be conservatives, pretend to be limited government, to, you know, and, and then when they have to take a tough vote on something, it's all about, well, what does this do for my constituency? You know, what does this do for well, I, my chances of reelection? And that, that's a big problem. Right. I think Graham and McCain need to go. They, uh, <laughs> they're not supporting him at all. I don't like them. Yeah, you're not the only one, Evelyn. You're not the only one. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people are wondering. Well, you know, John McCain is now calling for, and Evelyn, thank you for calling in from North Carolina. John McCain is calling for Nunez to reveal his source. Uh, why would Nunez do that at this point? Can't can't Nunez try? We were told he was going out. He was erratic. He went outside of uh, official channels before or not official channels, but he went outside of expected protocol when it came to uh, talking to fellow members of the House panel before telling the public or going to the president about this stuff. But now he's going to reveal his source. What will what if it's a whistleblower or what if it's somebody from within the government who doesn't really want to deal with? with the Democrat deep state machinery that has already been used against the Trump administration. Uh, We are supposed to assume, I guess, that there's something nefarious going on here, but we have no evidence of that still. Uh, John in Mississippi on WBV. What's up, John? Hey, Buck. uh, Good to talk with you. Uh, I, I I suspect you've heard by now of this woman named Evelyn Farkas. Oh, we're going to talk about that coming up. Yep. Yeah, you are? Oh, yeah. yeah we'll I'd, like, I'd, like to, I'd like to say something on her behalf. Uh, the, the way she talks, she, she, she spoke on uh, MSNBC yesterday, and, uh, and I've got a, I printed out a, a transcript of an interview with uh, Ezra Klein, and uh, she really does sound sincere. And her concern was that Trump was too friendly with the Russians. And she, she really does seem like a sincere, patriotic woman. But I believe she knows she's in, in cahoots with the people that spread and leaked this uh, confidential classified information about Trump's uh, staff members on his transition team. I, but I believe, I, I believe she's a sincere person. And um, I... She can lead us to. So th- this is a woman who, just so everyone everyone knows, John, uh, a former top Obama administration official named Evelyn Farkas. She was deputy assistant secretary of defense under Obama. She says that there were efforts uh, by her colleagues to gather intelligence on Trump team ties to Russia before he took office. Uh, so that's that's what uh, what John's referring yeah. to. We will get to that in the uh, later on in the show. Her, I promise. Okie dokie. All right, rock and roll, sir. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, We'll talk about that. I I, want to get into the Planned Parenthood uh, undercover videos in a minute here, just the way this is being handled by prosecutors and and the obvious politics that are at play here. Um, There are a few things more disconcerting and honestly more terrifying than when prosecutors are using their tremendous powers to settle political scores. We'll talk about that. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. 
So, team, you probably saw this. Um, it's troubling, to be sure. Um, the Center for Medical Progress, which did a series of undercover videos of Planned Parenthood, showing, uh, discussing things and, and showing things that are difficult to deal with, uh, hard to process, and certainly impossible to forget. Uh, and there, this group that was engaged in uh, undercover journalism is now facing 15 felony counts, as you can see here. The state attorney general, uh, Javier uh, Becerra, who is a formerly a congressional Democrat of, of a long for a long time, said that he will not tolerate the criminal recording of conversations. Now, you get into some interesting... There, there's the legal argument, and then there's the uh, ethical argument here. Then there's the politics. This. Let me just start with my understanding of the legal argument. A lot of states allow for what is called one-party consent, meaning that if one person wants to record a conversation with another person, they can. Uh, California is a, I, I believe, is a two-party consent state. Now, that on its face, you may say, okay, Buck, well then, as a matter of just straightforward law and straightforward legal application, they they would be in trouble here. And that there, then there would be charges. But here's, here's the problem. Uh, just because you're talking to people in private doesn't mean that the communication is necessarily, as a, as a legal matter, going to be considered uh, privileged or protected under the law. Um, and there are some discussions that are happening right now, uh, for example, about whether you would be able to expect a conversation in a, if you are the person entering a medical office, for example, isn't it you're you're the one who has a privacy uh, expectation, perhaps? So can't can't you record that if you're entering a medical office? This is what needs to be uh, dealt with by the court now. Um, but this is this is going to be something that you'll ex- you'll expect the lawyers are going to get uh, on both sides are going to get very much uh, into the weeds on, and there are some. This is all about wiretapping, by the way, and wiretapping law. Uh, there are some other aspects of this too. You know, if a conversation is happening at a restaurant, for example, or if it's out in the open, of course there, you know, otherwise anybody that's ever walked, if, if you're at a protest and you're recording a conversation and you pick up somebody else's, you know, incid- incidentally, you could say, collect somebody else saying something that you're not talking to, is that? No, because you don't have an expectation of privacy there. So this is, it's interesting. Where do you have an expectation of privacy, the, the uh, hotair.com has an interesting run through of this where you get into uh, whether something is in a confidential area or not. Um, so this is it is it's all very circumstantial, but 15 felony counts is is quite a uh, quite a series of charges to level against somebody for doing undercover uh, journalism. And that's exactly what happened here. And when you read, so on the legal side of this, um, you can imagine there's going to be a lot of back and forth. And there are some concerns. You do have to be aware when you're recording uh, in a state, you want to be aware when you're intentionally recording somebody 
what the laws are in that state because they vary state by state. And in California, uh, they have now decided to charge uh, Delayden and Merritt, the two involved with this, for their undercover investigation of an organization that was trafficking in fetal, that was talking about the sale of and trafficking of fetal body parts. Which it can do for, and this is, it's tough to discuss. And I know it's it's upsetting to dis, it's upsetting to think about, it's upsetting to hear about. The way the law currently stands, they can recoup expenses from the procedure and from the, the, the usage of these tissues from babies in research. But what you saw on the videos was that, which are always referred to, by the way, as heavily edited, uh, which is just a way of that's sort of a uh, that's a weasel word to undermine the uh, the accuracy and the authenticity of these videos uh, to say, oh, well, they're heavily edited. They're not edited. out. Of, I mean, what does that even mean? Edited out of the ordinary. Of course, there's hours and hours of footage and they had to make it something that people would watch. So they cut it down. Journalists do this all the time with you know, every interview that you see on TV in some way, usually, usually has some level of editing. If nothing else, there are constraints put on it by uh, the commercials and the timing and the breaks. But I just, I, I see this and it comes after what happened in Texas where there was also an effort to charge these individuals by the grand jury there. That was thrown out. Um, and now looking at this case against DeLayden and Merritt, you see that this is, Pandering to a pandering to a left wing constituency that unfortunately is really most of the state of California by throwing a 15 felony count indictment at these two. Um, and this is the, the criminalizing of undercover journalism, uh, which is really also just happening because these groups, Planned Parenthood, the media, the Democratic Party, are all working together uh, to make sure that people don't really know what happens in these facilities. Uh, why should it be? Why should it be such an outrage that these conversations? I mean, the, the the privacy expectation in a medical facility, in my opinion, would be for the individual who's trying to get services, not not for the facility. Uh, if you were trying to figure out what's going on in there, wouldn't you want someone to be able to record their conversation? I mean, any any normal doctor doing any normal procedure would say, sure, it's, it's your privacy. We're protected. It's not, not, not the privacy of the facility and the doctors who are meeting with people to talk about treatment, but there's something very distinct and very different that is happening in the case of Planned Parenthood. That's where they're performing abortions. It is a highly... Uh, politicized issue on the left. Uh, they don't want people to really know. They want them to use certain language. Uh, Abortion is an issue that I don't spend much time talking about on the show. I wonder whether the Trump administration will deal with some of the outstanding issues that still exist on abortion in any in any meaningful way. I don't, I don't know. Trump, one thing that's often lost in the left-wing mania about how terrible Trump is, is that he's on social issues, pretty moderate centrist Republican. Uh, and I, I don't know. He's, he said he's he said he's pro-life when he's running. We'll see what that means. He's appointing a pro-life just, uh, justice to the Supreme Court. But back to the Center for Medical Progress and their situation out in California. They tried to get them in Texas and they could not, or it was 
thrown out, but they also were going to bring serious charges there. A grand jury exceeded its authority in that case because the initial investigation there was about the trafficking in, in fetal body parts. And then it turned into, well, what about these people recording the conversations? Isn't it fascinating, by the way, the left will now focusing more on the on the political angle here and less on the specific legalities of California wiretapping law. The left will make excuses and will even revere in some cases people who break the law for a higher political purpose. Um, They will break the law or rather they will advocate for breaking the law and violating privacy and even violating federal statutes about classification, for example. And you'll say, well, what's the higher political purpose here? What purpose are you serving by whether we're talking about Bradley Manning or any number of other Snowden, you know, other so-called whistleblowers? I'm not really clear on what what whistle is being, uh, you know, what whistle they're talking about. But you look at how in those cases, oh, and Trump's taxes, of course, right? I mean, you know, the, the law can be broken, but if it's if it's helpful to the Democrat ca- Democrat cause, then forget about what the specifics of the law are, even if it's federal classification of national security information. It just doesn't matter. I don't really care. Um, show, so when we see this now here, usually there would be a lot of a lot of support, a lot of noise for. First Amendment freedom, uh, saying that this is a case where it's more important that we find out the truth here than anything else. And the political reality dictates the legal the legal reality down the line. Right. The the push from politics is uh, a case where or the, the push from the political side of it tells you how this will play out in the courts. And here you see that, but it's happening in the other direction. It's not in favor of the whistleblowers or the truth tellers here. Now it's being pushed in the other direction because Planned Parenthood is a sacred entity to the progressive secular left. Um, It's, I think, in the back of their mind somewhere, there's an understanding among some liberals. I, I don't know how many, but that one day America will wake up from this, uh, from this immoral nightmare and say to itself, I cannot believe that. There was, in fact, federal funding because there is federal funding. That's why they get so upset when the funding is going to get cut to Planned Parenthood for abortion, that this was legal, that this was commonplace, that it happened tens of millions of times, that there was that this was the one constituency, the pro-abortion plank in the Democrat platform. That's the one constituency that no Democrat can ever or will ever uh, go against. Can't be a member in good standing of the Democratic Party. A lot of other things you can do. Can't be a member in good standing and not be in favor of Planned Parenthood. So here we have 15 felony charges uh, leveled against these undercover journalists. Uh, I I do think that this will turn on whether they can whether the case um, whether uh, there was an expectation of privacy regarding this conversation or not. The courts have found in other similar cases. That an undercover journalist, that really the, the protection is for the person who is meeting with the other individual in a professional capacity. It's not for the person in the professional capacity. Um, so we will see um, whether there's a reasonable expectation of privacy in a Planned Parenthood center for somebody who's ostensibly having a professional meeting with them. That's where the legal question would turn. But the political side of this is quite clear, and it's that 
They want to make an example of these undercover journalists. They don't want people to know the truth about what happens in these facilities. They don't want them to know what's really going on with these procedures. They don't want them to know that Planned Parenthood is selling body parts of infants to make money. That's what this all really comes down to. And it is yet another instance of the weaponization of the law and the law as a tool of partisan silencing instead of the law as a tool of justice. It's uh, deeply troubling, and we'll see how this one, we'll see how this goes uh, goes forward. I, California is going to be tougher than the Texas situation, I think, because of the state wiretapping situation. Um, but this will be interesting. All right, we've got Lisa in Arizona on KOY calling in. Lisa, welcome. Well, hi, Buck. Um, I had a couple of questions about the uh, case going on with Planned Parenthood in California. Sure. Um, uh, what um, I, I wasn't understanding if these were freelance journalists, were they working for someone? Uh, no, I mean they're they're journalists in the sense of citizen journalists. I mean they created a a false entity, the Center for Medical, or not a false entity, but they created the Center for Medical Progress as the front for these meetings, uh, and then they created the undercover videos. I mean, I'm, I'm not even I, why does it matter who they work for specifically? I mean they're they're doing undercover journalism. Okay, uh, yeah, I wasn't unclear on that sure. point. Um, also. Uh, I know that they were, I, I've seen them, by the way. Uh, they were disturbing. Um, but I, I guess what I'm confused on is I know that no federal funds are used for abortion. Am, am I right in that? Well, not really, because fun, uh, funds are, are fungible. I mean, the, the, when you give an organization, you know, if you give an organization $100 million that it wouldn't otherwise have... Uh, it's got a hundred million a hundred million dollars that it wouldn't have, right? So it maybe doesn't use those dollars specifically. Because keep in mind, Planned Parenthood fights back whenever they say, whenever the um, Congress or Republicans in Congress say that we'll fund Planned Parenthood if they stop doing abortions, they well they go no. <laughs> so clearly that's a, that's an essential part of their mission, and they're getting money from the federal government. So that's covering a part of their budget, which means they have more money to do other things in their budget. And and what's the problem with them getting money for abortion? I mean, it's not against the law. Well, I mean, law I, if, if you're like if you're like me and you're pro life, uh, the the problem is you think that it's federal tax dollars. It's money that's being taken from you by force to do something that's immoral. And by the way, as a matter of statute, it's not supposed to happen. Uh, you have the Hyde Amendment in place, which says that mo- federal money is not supposed to go to abortions, but money is in fact going to organizations that perform abortions, and they need that money. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, that, those were the two points I was confused on. Like I said, I did see the commercials that aired, I mean, at nauseum in our state, and I'm sure other other places. And I saw uh, a Fox News when, when this first, it was a couple years ago when all this first came out. And I was just, like I said, having some issues with because these questions weren't answered to my Right. Satisfaction. Gotcha. Well, Lisa, I appreciate you. Appreciate you calling in from from Arizona. The Hyde Amendment, by the way, is a, a legislative a legislative act that prevents the use of federal funds to pay for abortion unless it's to save the life of the mother. Um, but we are, they're giving a lot of money to Planned Parenthood from the federal government every year, and like I said, 
if an organization has money, well, that means it has money. And that it doesn't use that, that money for abortions doesn't really change the fact that it's it's uh, an abortion provider and that it's using those funds. You know, you, you understand this, right? If I give you $10,000 and say, well, you, you can't go buy a car with this, but, well, you use that to cover your rent for a few months and now you have money to buy a car, what, what difference does it really make? Um, or, you know, you pay your mortgage with it or whatever. Here, look, the key is, is about prosecutorial discretion. And this is why the scorched earth, use the law as a weapon approach the Democrats have is so troubling, because a, a prosecutor could look at this and say, it's hate, it, you know, it's, it's murky as to whether or not there's an expectation of privacy when you're talking about somebody in a professional services capacity at a medical facility. Um, and on top of that, you know, we believe in a, in a robust First Amendment. They were engaged in this practice um, not as tr- not tr- for some personal vendetta settling against any individuals to embarrass them. This was about Planned Parenthood, the organization. Prosecutorial discretion is a very powerful tool, and it means that look, a prosecutor can decide not to push char- uh, press charges against somebody just because. Here, fifteen felony counts. Not hey, can you sign a, um, you know, can you can you sign this and tell me you'll never do it again? That's also that also would be discretion, but that's not what's going on here, uh, and that's why the political aspects of this are so important because they're they are throwing the book at these two. That's what this is, and they're doing that because, uh, in their minds, the sacred uh, abortion facilities on the left are under assault here, and they want to make an example of these undercover journalists because this is in California, and they can. Uh, so they, like I said, they're they're coming at them with everything they can legally, and this is going. This is, I think, going to be a, a real fight for these two. And we'll see what ends up happening. I mean, 15 felony counts that they may push. I don't know. We'll see what the the end result is. But we uh, will have to keep an eye on it, like I was saying. He's an ex-CIA officer who knows how to outsmart the enemies of liberty. But I do have a very particular set of skills. Buck Sexton with America Now. Team, your mission, should you choose to accept it, call the Freedom Hunt Operations Center, 888-900-BUCK. Make contact. Unless you're under hostile surveillance. 888-900-2825. Russia, Trump, surveillance, spying, all of these issues. uh, Very much at the center of what's going on in this country right now. And, uh... Dominating the news cycle still day in and day out. I want to talk to you about the latest here. Now, first, you have senators who are coming out from the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, the leaders of the Senate Intelligence Committee saying that they're expanding their investigation of Russia's interference in the U.S. presidential campaign. They're saying they're going to remain independent and get to the bottom of this, according to Fox News. So, not enough just to have the House looking to deal with this. Now you also have the uh, Senate. Well, the Senate's been doing this for a while, but the Senate's saying that they're expanding their investigation even further. So you've got two simultaneous investigations involving our elected representatives uh, spending countless man hours, lots of time and effort looking at reviewing classified documents I wonder what they're going to come up with at the end of this with regard to the Russian interference that we don't know. 
I am very curious to see what that will be. Um, so there is, so just start with that. And then you also have on more, so the Senate's going to broaden their probe. Okay, fine. You have a former Obama administration official who said some pretty startling stuff on MSNBC earlier today. I was urging my former colleagues and, and frankly speaking, the people on the Hill, mm -hmm. I w it was more actually aimed, aimed at telling the Hill people, get as much information as you can, get as much intelligence as you can before President Obama leaves the administration, because I had a fear that somehow that information would disappear with the senior people who left. So it would be hidden away in the bureaucracy um, that the Trump folks, if they found out how we knew what we knew about their the staff, the Trump staff's dealing with Russians, that they would try to compromise those sources and methods, meaning we would no longer have access to that intelligence. Think about what this woman who is, her name is Evelyn Farkas. She was Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense under Obama. Think about what she's saying here. That people with access to classified information were so upset and astonished by the connections between Trump, Trump staff, and Russia. Uh, there was, it was so startling to them that they were worried and we're supposed to assume this is a reasonable worry, and I'll get to that with you in a moment because I don't believe that it is, worried that Trump people would come in and destroy this information. Let's just handle this as rational, reasonable people for a moment, shall we? Why the heck don't we know one single thing, one single uh unacceptable, illicit contact, conversation. And don't give me the, oh, well, Sergey Kizilyak talking to Flynn. By the way, was that not a classified leak? We still, we still have people pretending that maybe it wasn't. Uh, well, how else do you know about a private phone call with, a, with an ambassador of a foreign country? Uh, but they, you know, the government still, we're, we're not getting information fast enough about this. We're not getting confirmation or denial in the manner in which we should. But let's really break this apart for a moment. You've got a, f a former senior Defense Department official saying that they were so worried about what they found out in classified channels between, about Trump and Russia ties that they had to make sure that they were spreading the information around. Is, is the best that they can do then? Or, or, or are we to assume that anything happened other than my General Flynn was a was a casualty. His career was a casualty of this process. And is that the best they can do? That's it. They're 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 yelling about this. I mean, they are crying fire in the theater here over the Russia Trump connection, and not a she can't. What is the connection, Miss Farkas? If it were real, if it necessitated. This approach that she's talking about, which is spreading information far and wide within the government because she's so afraid that people coming in would betray their oath to the American people and the Constitution, would destroy that information and cover up for the president. Okay, well, what did you have? What did you see? The answer is nothing so far. We have nothing. How many months now we've been talking about this? Uh, they haven't been able to give us one single 
conversation, one illicit meeting, one act of collusion to justify all of the allegations of a massive international conspiracy that through a presidential election, that's what they really think happened. That's what they've been saying. They offer no evidence. They have nothing. Now, let me give you a, a way, the way that I see this right now, and it's certainly an approach that I think would be useful to take about these allegations in general. Modern liberalism is a doctrine of hysteria. Meaning that it's never it's never a policy dispute that can be resolved between well-intentioned adults. It's always liberals, progressives are good people, smart people, and everybody who disagrees with them is bad and dumb and evil, even worse than bad and dumb, evil. Well, bad and evil, kind of the same. And you see this with just their reaction to the climate change uh, executive order repeals from yesterday you see their reaction to this on any number on health care i mean let, let's just go down the list does trump want to repeal obama's orders on climate because he wants there to be jobs and he doesn't think that uh, that the the rate of warming is what some of the previously wrong climatologists based on their models that they won't even give us the underlying data for does he is, is it a, a real uh, divergence of opinion here or is it that trump is trying to destroy the planet they they think trump is destroying the planet and this is in mainstream newspapers this is on major news channels trump just wants to just he wants to destroy the world that's hysteria that is beyond the realm of normal discussion debate that's hysteria on health care is it that we want a free market and do do progressives think that we want a free market in health care or that we are a bunch of heartless uh, fat cats in the Republican Party, even those of us who don't have very much and, and, and are struggling to make ends meet. But somehow we vote against our interests. That's what they say. And, you know, we don't like poor people. We don't like minorities. And we just want to throw old people and minorities and po- uh, uh, old people, minorities and uh, poor people off of health care. We want to let them die in the streets. I mean, I, I don't have to search very hard to find examples of them saying that that's that's the way they view the other side you go go down the issue and when i say them the people in the democratic party and the media who have the most influence and are are the decision makers this is how they view the world this is how they view the policy disputes so returning to my initial premise here modern liberalism is a doctrine of hysteria they it's it's not about it's it's not about trying to convince people and bring them to the center it is our side is good and righteous and your side is bad and evil now apply this to trump and russia given that we know that there are progressive leftists in the government i worked with some of them i'm aware of this too given that we know that they view donald trump is the worst thing to happen to this country and you know, they've some of them said the worst thing to happen since 9-11. I mean, they, they think this is absolutely terrible. This is creeping fascism. This is the long, dark night of totalitarian tyranny. That's how they view Donald Trump. Do you think it's possible that some individuals like Ms. Farkas here, when they would 
otherwise get access to conversations that Trump people had that you could that that could be explained as the normal interactions that an incoming administration would have with foreign leaders, including, by the way, some unsavory foreign actors. You know, if you want to get things done in the world, I can tell you this from experience. Sometimes you have to deal with people overseas that are not Boy Scouts. Sometimes you have to be willing to deal with those who are in many ways odious. But that's the, you know, and keep in mind, I'm not even going into the level now of, although I could, of, oh, I'll have more flexibility after the election and, Oh, the Russia reset button with Hillary. They actually had a button they created, a reset. I mean, this is just, it's ridiculous, right? They were so, oh, it's just big hugs. I mean, the Obama administration's foreign policy could be summarized as hugs for dictators and, you know, bowing to despots. And yet, here we are, we have senior, former senior government officials saying that they were so terrified at the incoming Trump administration's dishonesty and all the bad things that would happen, that they had to spread classified far and wide, that they had to spread classified information around because they thought that it would be destroyed. And it's only, I think, when we take into account that they have a hysterical, not like haha, but hysterical as in uh, maniacal, crazed, overheated, hyperventilating view of how bad Trump is that they would see communications, allegedly, with foreign actors, Russia, whomever, that would set off all these alarms in their heads. You see what I'm saying here? If the conversations were bad, does anyone really believe we wouldn't have seen excerpts in the Washington Post? If the conversations were damning and would destroy this administration's credibility, does anybody really believe that someone in the government, we've already had a a leak in the paper that cost the national security advisor. His people say, "Oh, a buck he lied to Pence." I know, but it was only possible, or only the situation only happened because of the pressure created by the media by releasing that information out there, which is still the government. You know, neither confirm nor deny. Who knows, right? If there was something that they saw, if Ms. Farkas could assert. That there was collusion between Trump, Trump associates, and Russia about the election. Why isn't she saying that? Why don't we know about that? And we go back to exactly what she said. I was urging, quote, I was urging my former colleagues and frankly speaking, uh, speaking to the people on the Hill. It was more actually aimed at telling the Hill people, get as much information as you can Get as much intelligence as you can before President Obama leaves the administration because I had a fear that somehow that information would disappear. She had a fear, you see. Well, is that fear exacerbated? Is it worse than it should have been? Because, well, she thinks Trump is so evil, right? If there were real evidence of something bad, wouldn't we know? Wouldn't we have been told? Now, let me ask you this as well as we work through this together. This is important. What do we think is the more likely scenario that an incoming Republican president, president elect and his top officials who are aware of the government's collection capabilities and aware that the Internet is forever and aware that they're under not just tremendous scrutiny, but they are under siege by the media, 
they would have been sloppy and reaching out to the Russians and creating some international or, or continuing to talk about this conspiracy to deprive Hillary of her 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 duly rightfully uh, given post of president of the United States. Because, you know, Hillary was just supposed to have this, uh, that there was this massive international conspiracy for which there is still zero evidence presented. Is that more likely? That's option one. We can say that's behind door number one. That's a what about B? That progressives who, as I said, are part of this doctrine of hysteria because modern liberalism is a doctrine of hysteria, that progressives working in the government were so disappointed and so uh, so forlorn, so saddened and, yes, hysterical over Hillary's loss that they saw in communications that they shouldn't be talking about and we shouldn't be talking about in the sense that we shouldn't know about it. But they saw in communications that were innocuous, not a conspiracy, but just perhaps the beginnings of what could be a conspiracy and that they turned this in their minds into some horrific uh, multinational evil plot that if, if only they could just get more information, they could prove they didn't have the information, but they knew they'd find it. And so they just wanted as many people as possible to see the, the very beginning. It sounds almost like I'm describing any number of conspiracy theories, aren't I? What's more likely? That Trump worked with the Russians to defeat Hillary in the election and took all of the risks and we haven't found anything about it? Or that progressives who tend to be hysterical anyway about climate change and health care and every other issue that comes up of national importance hate Trump so much that they saw nefarious conspiracy in channels that they shouldn't have been talking about anyway, they shouldn't have been sharing anyway, but they figured this was the beginning of what could be a reversion to a Hillary presidency or at least the destruction of the Trump presidency, and so they just ran with it. I think you can come to a pretty straightforward conclusion about that based on what we already know. Sure, the Senate and the House should continue on. But let's play the odds here, folks. All right, team, welcome back. Uh, Just want to remind you that you can listen to the show on demand if you miss any part of it or you want to listen to a part of it again. Given the detail we go into, that wouldn't be strange at all. We deep dive like it's our job because it is our job here in the Freedom Hut. iHeartRadio has a fantastic app. You can always go and play on demand there. Also on iTunes, Buck Sexton with America Now. You can subscribe and then you'll download the full podcast every day. Please do. Just go into your iTunes search, Buck Sexton with America Now, and then You'll see it'll pop up on subscribe. All right, we got a bunch of calls coming in. Uh, John in West Virginia on the iHeart app. What's up, John? Hi, Buck. Uh, Shields High. Shields High. First time caller. I love your show. You're a very smart man. I appreciate what you do. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm just so appalled about the way this is going. I mean, you know, the American people have spoken. You know, he won the election, and all all they're doing is, is just, Destroying it, destroying him and his credibility and everything he's trying to do. And all he's trying to do is fix this country, which Obama left in shambles. And, you know, the, the uh, investigation with Hillary, you know, when you get a federal warrant, they come busting in your door. They don't, like, hand it to you and wait till you clear all the evidence out. You know, she was given a, a lot of leeway to get, destroy a lot of things. And, you know, this is just like, I think, a cover up to get rid of all the 
you know, the accusations about them, the Democrats and all the stuff that, that they, they did, you know, through, through Hillary's campaign and, and everything. Well, Hillary definitely got special treatment on the server investigation, and I had people telling me, yeah. you know, when I would go on CNN early on, I was I would be on panels, John, where I was the only person who had ever held a security clearance, and people would say, well, I mean, it's not it's not a crime if she has classified information on her email servers if she didn't, you know, if it wasn't marked, and I'm like, actually, actually, you know, you bozos. It is a crime. <laughs> Actually, the marking means nothing. But don't ask the kid who had a top secret clearance. Ask, you know, Democrat operative, you know, so-and-so who's Skyping in from the Hamptons. It's just ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, Hillary got a lot of, a lot of special treatment on that. And the, the, Even with Bill Clinton and, and the DOJ on, in the airplane, you know, on, on the runway. You know. How is it? Someone explain How is it that, that you don't get a recusal from Attorney General Loretta Lynch? I know they announced no criminal charges a few days later, but the investigation was never formally closed. She should have recused herself, if nothing else, for the optics. Yeah, they did so, so many worse things with Trump, I mean, being accused of, I think. I think it's all baloney. And this man is trying to fix this country. I mean, it's not like he's trying to ruin us. He's yeah, trying I mean, to John, do right John he doesn't. He, he's a billionaire. He's super famous. You yeah, know, he's got a beautiful right. wife and family. He doesn't need. He doesn't need this. So he's going to be a Russian agent. This is just crazy. I told people, I said, "What do you think he's doing this for? He could be out golfing and being with his wife." And traveling around the country, you don't need to yeah. do that. No, no, he's he's what taking orders from a guy named Olga, meeting him under a, or Oleg, meeting him under a bridge. I mean, it's 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 total nonsense. Uh, but thanks for calling in, John. I got I got to get into a break here, but shield time, my friend. Thank you. Welcome back, Team Buck. We are joined by our friend David Harsanyi. He's a senior editor at The Federalist. His latest piece is Devin Nunez has absolutely no reason to recuse himself. I completely agree. David, thank you for calling in. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, um, and I, I promise I would have had David on even if he thought that Devin Nunez had lots of reasons <laughs> to recuse himself. Maybe we'll get David French, who does think he should recuse himself from National Review, on tomorrow. But for today, I get somebody who's uh, who's on Team Buck on this one. Uh, what, what? Give me your give me your sense of this. I mean, I just I keep hearing people say he needs to recuse himself because of the appearance of impropriety, and I turn around and say the, I just hear people talking about an appearance of impropriety. What's improper? Uh, tell me what's improper. Well, I guess their their contention is that he is playing, uh, he, that he's a partisan, and that he's sort of interfering on behalf of the president. But listen, even if even if you are a partisan, and let's be honest, everyone's a partisan. Being a politician by literally means you're a partisan in some sense. He and and he is helping Donald Trump is doing. Um, I still don't think he should recuse himself un- unless he does something unethical and. Um, he has not done that. I mean, there's, and you would know more about this than I do, obviously, but there's nothing wrong with going to the president with intel that is not about an investigation that's focused on him. This isn't about Russia to tell him that something happened. I mean, maybe he didn't exactly, you know, go through the correct protocol to talk to his, uh, you know, com- people on his committee. They certainly didn't do anything wrong. And other than that, I don't think he did anything wrong at all. Well, you know, I, I was asked about this on, on Fox earlier in the week, and I, and I had to just say it. There, there really is no protocol for 
a an investigation that involves a lot of classified information and the possible surveillance of a current sitting president. I mean, this is this is outside the boundaries of this is how we do things, just so everybody understands. There was never a time when I was in the CIA where we're like, yeah, you know, what are we going to do about all that information we need to gather together about whether or not there was surveillance of the president? Like, this, this, is, this is uncharted territory. Right. And... A lot of a lot of liberals and a lot of progressives had a big problem with the NSA's, uh, you know, Section 702 collecting uh, um, information, unmasking and not minimizing people correctly. That and they even had a hearing. I think Bernie Sanders was running it, where they were concerned about this happening to politicians. Um, listen, I don't think I'm not one of these people who thinks the NSA or anyone else is going around snooping on people for no reason. But that doesn't mean that there can't be abuse of things that are legal. And no one's saying that um, incidental collections is illegal. I mean, maybe someone's saying it. They're wrong. What I think is important is, is that someone at the CIA may have abused their power and um, collected information about Trump's family or whatever it is. Yeah, in know. the intel community, whether it was I mean, any, we're not sure where, right. but yeah. Right, right. So wherever it was. I think that that's a worthwhile thing to look into. And I'm not sure that he should recuse himself until we see what he has. Now, if he's been, like, blown this out of proportion and there's really not any, anything there and he, he was being partisan and he did undermine an investigation, then his credibility suffers and then I'll have a different take on it. But right now there's no proof. It's not like Devin Nunes has done things that, uh, you know, has said crazy things or ever done anything that would make me think, that he is some kind of ultra-partisan, certainly no more than Adam Schiff, who, who, who is as partisan as anyone else. All of these congressional investigations involve people that have an R or a D by their name when they're on TV asking questions and going through all this. And a lot of the congressional investigation stuff d- does have the feel of a show trial, let's be honest. I mean, that, that's what right. it turns into. A lot of grand, especially with the Gorsuch nomination, you see a lot of grandstanding. It's not about getting to the truth. It's about both sides political sides having their say. This is just obvious, right? But I think it's important for everyone to keep that in mind. Uh, but, you know, you have this former... Uh, did, did you hear this woman, by the way, Farkas, uh, on uh, on Morning Joe? She said that there... You know, I was urging my former colleagues... She's a former DOD Deputy Assistant Secretary. Urging my former colleagues and speaking to people on the Hill in order to get as much intelligence as you can before Obama leaves the administration. Uh, that's more or less what she said. And... That means, David, that they must have seen some stuff. So if if this woman's saying that we saw stuff that raised some flags, why is Nunez saying, you know, they had stuff that was collect you know, you know, for for her for her to be telling the truth, this former Obama administration senior Pentagon official, there would have had to have been exactly the kind of information that Nunez was alluding to next week. So why is he a liar and we shouldn't believe him, but you know, she's a a, a truth teller. I, I, you know, sometimes where like everyone is against what you, you, where you are and everyone's attacking you and you sit back and you're like, am I, maybe I'm missing something. I don't understand what's happening here. I, I don't understand. Everything he said was couched in a way that, that seemed reasonable to me, that he never said that, that, that there were wiretaps of, of Trump Tower. He never said Trump was vindicated. He never said anything of that nature. He simply said that there was a file that he saw um, that shows that there might have been incidental collection, perhaps Donald Trump, transition members, whatever, however he couched it. It seemed very reasonable to me. Um, clearly something was going on, 
And I just don't understand why we can't get to the bottom of that. I mean, we're doing this other Russia stuff, or this Russia stuff constantly. Every rumor is blown out of proportion. You know, Adam Schiff says that he has concrete evidence or whatever, however he phrased it, that, that there was collusion that we've not seen either, but no one's telling him to step down. And so I don't get it. And, you know, the more I read about it, like you said, I'm always asking people, I don't understand what specifically your problem is. Being pro-Trump, being part of the transition team is not illegal. He has done nothing illegal or unethical. So I don't know. I, I gotta, I'll have on, uh, have on some of the conservatives that disagree with me on that because they're out there. There are people that are writing saying he should step down. I was like, well, he steps down or he has to step down. Sessions has to recuse himself. I mean, does anyone notice a pattern here? The administration hasn't been around that long. And this is all in response to public pressure. This is not, you know, and, and these are recusal is, is, in, is a decision that somebody makes. It's a judgment call. It's not like, you know, I mean, look, Loretta Lynch didn't recuse herself from the Hillary investigation, but I don't want to go too far down that path. One other point that I like to I like to make here, uh, and I just wanted to throw it out to you, David, and, and that is if what this woman Farkas and others have said that there was sketchy communication going on between Trump officials and Russia or what, we're not even clear on who's talking or anything. But if there was some cause for concern, don't 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 we think at this point we would have heard from some leak or some Democrat uh, politician or news outlet, what it was? We keep being told there's so much smoke, there's so much smoke. If there was fire, I think at this point somebody would have said something. Well, I mean, how patient can we be about this? It seems sometimes that it's just this sort of thing that people want to be out there so they can use it as a political, you know, sledgehammer. Um, But moreover, you know, sometimes I wonder, listen, if Donald Trump and members of his campaign colluded with people from Russia uh, or said, you know, can you get us this information or whatever they did, I I would think that that's really problematic. And if Donald Trump knew about it, I think he should probably be impeached over it. But even then, even if all that was true, it's still, I'm not sure, illegal for someone in a Trump campaign to talk to someone in Russia. I don't Mike, Mike Flynn. I've had I've had former federal prosecutors on the show, David, like, what's the crime here? And they're like, I don't know. No, we keep being told that we're going to find out. We're going to find out what? I mean, we had Aaron Burnett on CNN say, well, isn't this treason? I'd be like, I mean, I wasn't there, but I would have been like, no, Aaron, this is not treason. <laughs> that's, that's not how this works. They throw that word around left and right. I don't know. Listen, I think I don't like it, and I think it would be a problem for many reasons. But just because I don't like it doesn't make it illegal, and I still don't understand what the crime is. So we, we don't even have a crime. I'm not sure why um, any intel agency should have a file being thrown around with the president, you know, stuff and information about the president. I think I'm all for everyone having the same rights, but I think that if the president is being spied on and by any sort of common understanding, that's called spying, you know, there should be a very good reason for it. And if it happened and there wasn't a very good reason for it, we should know about it. The only likely crime that we know of is actually the leaking of the details of a phone call between the national, incoming national security advisor and a, a foreign ambassador. That is the only yeah. crime that anyone has been able to legitimately point to and say this is a thing that happened. Well, everyone's saying that Nunes shouldn't, you know, he won't share his source. So, I mean, why did he have to share his source? It's the, inf- the validity of the information that matters, not the source. I swear, David and I didn't coordinate this before. David, I was saying the same thing yesterday. I was like, <laughs> well, what is the, if it's a, you know, if it's some dude from within the intelligence community, I don't think he wants the death threats against him and his family for coming forward and being the one that destroys the Democrats' Russia collusion Trump narrative. I swear to God, for the, the entire Bush administration, all everyone was talking about is how we need more whistleblowers and we have to protect them. Now we have a whistleblower and we want to, 
we want to expose him and we want to we want to uh, you know throw a guy off but have a guy you know recuse himself because he's he's protecting a source it's, it's right. outlandish. You, that, that was that's key you had journalists hounding Nunez in the bowels of the Capitol uh, you know of, of Capitol Hill I don't know if you saw this gaggle but CNN and others you know, who's your source who's your source and I was like you guys are journalists you want him to expose his source in a highly sensitive national security matter just because you want him to? I know. Well, Mike Flynn lost his job because someone leaked something. Is anyone looking for, to see who that leaker is? I mean, no one really seems to care about that. And it, yeah, it's, just, it's, it, it's just such hypocrisy. It's hard to take. Now, you know, if the guy turns out to be a fraud and he's just doing this for political reasons we're going to find out if, if we're going to see these files so or i mean we won't see them but whatever when we learn about this information why can't we wait a couple of weeks for that to happen it's yeah, just, I, I, that's the they keep demanding the you know the demands get really loud and they're unreasonable and then when they're not met the next day is well the demands haven't been met and then when they say we'll meet the demands then they move on to another issue i mean it's just to, to me it's such a construct all the time and and ultimately also the the whole this whole conspiracy and i know some really smart conservatives that that buy into this david and, and, it, and it hurts me on the inside i'm like come on guys they really think that i mean i think that they think the worst like they think trump's going to prison they think that uh this is all a job and i look at i want to look at them and I, I have said this to some of them you know in private i'm like this is not even a good conspiracy for trump this all comes down to hacking podesta's emails so that so what who cares Which- which they say flipped the election, which is, a, is an incredibly, incredible overstatement. Not even an overstatement, it's just a complete lie. It, there was zero evidence that that moved any needle anywhere. I don't buy that it did. But even then, why do they think Donald Trump's going to be impeached? I mean, I think they've gotten in their heads that Donald Trump is going to be impeached. It's not going to happen. I mean, unless there's something out there that we haven't heard about, this stuff will not make that happen for them. I don't think so. One, one more for you, David, and then we got to run to break. But I've been, I've been saying earlier this, this hour that I think that liberal, modern liberalism is a doctrine of hysteria, and I went down a whole bunch of issues where a, a hysterical point of view is commonplace and widespread, whether it's on climate change, the world's going to end, health care, we want old and poor people to die. I mean, you go down the list, this is uh, almost doctrine on the le- or, or orthodoxy on the left now. Uh, I, I think that there might have been some people working in national security after Hillary lost that that they kind of they kind of lost it a little bit. You know, they they, they went into a, we- a dark, weird conspiracy place. And that's how we get some of this reporting on all oh, the Trump Russia collusion. Hey, Buck, this is not new in in. I forgot what year it was, but during the Bush administration, near the end, about 50 percent of Democrats believe that George Bush had something to do with 9-11. So people believe crazy things all the time. You you hope at least that that those within government and those who are responsible for you know for our well-being and so forth don't believe conspiracy theories and 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 you know and that the media doesn't repeat them but they do this russia stuff is nuts some people and i'm not going to mention their names sound like they're nuts i mean yeah they sound crazy and i like them they're nice they're smart nice people I do not listen. It's been a tough year for a lot of us, right? I don't like what happened that much either. But it is what it is, and we, it, you know, and you have to just keep your wits about you. I, I'm not. I'm open to the idea that something wasn't right or that someone did something wrong. But you're going to have to provide evidence at some point. They've convinced themselves that something happened with Russia. It's sedition, on and on and on. Yet the evidence is not there yet. So I think a lot of them maybe you know, just to play this game to, to get the, you know, the base all worked up, but it is, it's hysterical. And 
I think it reflects poorly on us right now as a nation, frankly. And uh, and nothing else gets done. And you know, it's just it's kind of yeah, a mess. It's a giant. It is. It is on. I mean, we. I guess we have to go through it for political reasons in terms of you know if we don't do the investigation. But it's a giant. It's it, it is going to end up being a giant waste of time. And they're not going to accept the results of the investigation anyway when they don't show that you know Trump right. is a Russian stooge. But anyway, David Arsani, everybody, senior editor at the Federalist. His latest is on thefederalist.com. David, great to have you, my friend. Thanks for joining. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Lines are lit. Let's take some calls, team. Uh, Melissa in West Virginia on the iHeart app. Melissa, good to have you. Hello, Matt. Good to have uh, opportunity to speak with you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Um, I just wanted to know um, your thoughts on this. It's purported that Hillary Clinton said that they would all hang if Trump was elected, which we know is the traditional punishment for treason. Uh, is it possible that this Ms. Farkas has been advised to scapegoat herself in order to protect the higher-ups? Uh, well, I, I haven't heard anything about the, that. your first comment about the hanging. I have to say, I don't know what you're, what are you referring to with that? Do you, do you mean that, like, uh, um, metaphorically, or what, what are we talking about here? Now, no. Uh, during one of the debates, Hillary uh, was purported to have had a fit when she was made to look bad uh, because her staff didn't okay. perform properly. And, and then you read somewhere that she said we're all going to hang if, if, if Trump wins? Yeah. If, if Trump is elected, we'll all hang. Uh, I don't believe that at all. I'm sorry, I have to tell you that that did not happen. Uh, but for, but I mean, I, let, let me go with the 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 Farkas. This is reported. Right, I understand you're saying that, but I'm just telling you, whoever reported that, that's that's not a thing that happened. Um, but uh, Farkas uh, as a scapegoat. I don't think she's a scapegoat. I think she probably thinks she's a a truth teller and will be protected by the liberal establishment. Uh, for coming forward with this, although I have to say she's put herself in a I, I don't think any lawyer would have advised her to say what she said today on MSNBC. They should clearly call her to testify before Congress. I mean, if they don't. But let me say this, uh, Melissa, if if Farkas is not called to testify before the Senate or the House or both, whatever, and the, the committee's investigating this, then the investigation is absolutely a sham. Because here you have somebody who is going right to the, the heart of the matter, saying that they saw stuff collected on the president and his top people that was da- that was so you know terrifying that they had to spread it around because they were going to get rid of it with the new administration. Well, she's uh, this is a former senior Pentagon official. She's either a liar or saying some very important stuff, and she should be on the record under oath saying it. But thank you for calling in from uh, West Virginia. And uh, John in Ohio, WWVA. What's up, John? Hey, how are you, sir? I'm good. It sounds like you're on speaker. Get closer to the speaker, John. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. I'm- <laughs> John, I think we we, we interrupted uh, John's John's doing a P90X right now, so he's going to come back over. Isn't that the one where you right or no insanity? Is that the one where you get the T-shirt? Anyway, sorry, John. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, I was just calling in regards to uh, what happened with the healthcare. You got to speak into the phone, man. Or we got to go to the next caller. How's that? Uh, put the phone close up to your mouth. Go ahead. Up, oh, and we lost him. <laughs> I had a feeling. I had a feeling that was going to happen. Clearly, he's not a not a. He doesn't like. He doesn't like P. Isn't P. P. Ninety X is the, also right. That's the thing where you have the tapes. You go home and you do the the aer- aerobic stuff. Yeah, I should probably give that a shot sometime. 
Uh, well, John, thank you for calling in. Sorry that we couldn't get the uh, audio to work out there. Uh, personally, I blame I blame the NSA or Soros or some combination thereof. Some some sketchy outfit out there is uh, knocking calls off from the Freedom Hut desk uh, from the Freedom Hut board. So uh, we got to talk a bit about uh, the the uh, fight over the Gorsuch, nom- Gorsuch nomination and also sanctuary cities. They are already suing. Seattle kicked it off. Uh, they're suing the administration. The sanctuary city battle is underway, my friends. We're going to get into that in the next hour and uh, some other very important and interesting stories that I want to share with you. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are gold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Welcome back, everybody. We have Hans von Spakovsky as our guest now. He's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, former FEC commissioner and Department of Justice lawyer, also author of the book Obama's Enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department. Hans, great to have you back. Buck, thanks for having me back. Uh, so can we we got a bunch of legal issues to run through here. Uh, first, I wanted to ask you about the sanctuary city fight that is is not just looming, it is now underway. You've got Seattle, uh, Seattle suing the Trump administration over the sanctuary city's order. At the heart of this, uh, the claim that we're seeing from uh, not just uh, Seattle, but other cities as well, they say the federal government cannot force local police to enforce federal law. You say what? Well, it's certainly true that they can't do that, but then the Justice Department isn't trying to uh, force them to um, enforce federal law. What they are saying is that uh, you, local city, cannot prevent your law enforcement officials from sending information to the federal government uh, about uh, illegal aliens that you have arrested. And that's a provision in federal immigration law, and uh, it, is, it is fully and completely enforceable. So the, the, what I've heard, by the way, is that there are these other, there, there are these jurisdictions that are, they're all supposed to let the federal government know when they have an an illegal immigrant in custody. Some of them don't even do that unless it meets. I think in California, you have to meet a certain threshold of criminality for them to even notify the federal government. So they're taking it upon themselves to make that distinction on their on their own. But then there's the issue of detainers, which means that the federal government asks local law enforcement to hold on to somebody until they can come pick them up. Uh, how does what's the legality of that? They say, well, we don't have to do that. That uh, that issue is undecided. In other words, um, the courts have come down on different sides of that, so uh, we don't know whether that's enforceable um, or or not. But one thing that the the these local cities cannot do and don't have a right to do is to force the Justice Department to um, award them grants. Because remember, one of the other things that Sessions, uh, General Sessions announced on Monday was that um, he, he's got uh, discretionary authority over more than $4 billion in money that the Justice Department gives out to uh, cities and counties across the country for law enforcement purposes. Um, he has said no city, no county, 
uh, with a sanctuary policy is going to uh, get any of that money. And there's no way that these uh, cities like Seattle, no matter what kind of threats they, uh, they put out, there's no way that they can force the Justice Department to give them that grant money. And, and in fact, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Why in the world would the Justice Department give federal funds to a local jurisdiction that is doing everything it can to obstruct law enforcement uh, in, in the federal immigration area? Now, Hans, the districts or the, uh, the jurisdictions that are lining up to oppose the federal government on this, specifically to push back against the with withholding or the you know whatever not giving removing funds from these law enforcement grants uh, to these cities and, and and areas of the country they say that this is similar to the supreme court decision over obamacare where under obamacare the the law was saying you either expand your medicaid provision or we'll take away all your medicaid money and that actually was viewed as uh, or the the court did not accept that uh, as as uh, as law they say that this is similar to that. Why is this different? Because Medicaid, <clears throat> Medicaid is considered an entitlement. You know, it's, a, it's an entitlement like Social Security. Uh, the money from the Justice Department is purely discretionary funds. Uh, you can't get it unless you actually apply for it. And um, the Justice Department has uh, uh, full, full, like I said, discretionary authority to decide who gets it? That's not the case with uh, Medicaid funds. Medicaid funds, uh, states are entitled to those. <coughs> Basically, no matter what, uh, the federal government can't just say, well, we don't like your application for Medicaid funds. We're not going to give it to you. That's very different from the money we're talking about uh, at the Justice Department. All right, let's talk a bit about Gorsuch and the nomination battle underway. We had uh, Oklahoma Republican Senator Jim Inhofe uh, saying that, well, they're going to go nuclear on this one. Should McConnell exercise the nuclear option? Uh, yes. Are you concerned about the precedent that that sets? Well, no, I'm really not, because uh, he it was unprecedented that you would change the rules to start with. He did that. And, uh, you know, I was with Gorsuch yesterday. I've never been around a guy that is more qualified. And everyone agrees. Look, all these guys that are complaining about him right now, they all voted for him uh, to be at the Tenth Circuit, and no one opposed him. And, and so right now it's a political game, right. and whatever is necessary. I would just say this, Chris. Yes, sir. He's going to be confirmed. He's going to be confirmed. Uh, if they want to, they can. Right, Hans? There's no, the Republicans in the Senate have no excuse here because they do have the pathway of the nuclear option should they choose to exercise it. That's right. All they have to do is copy what Harry Reid did. And anybody who thinks, oh, that sets a bad precedent, I would ask you this. Is there anybody out there who actually believes that if we uh, fast-forwarded back to when a Democratic president gets elected again, does anybody doubt that the Democrats, um, if they get the chance to appoint somebody to the Supreme Court, wouldn't immediately finish what Harry Reid did and get rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees? I certainly don't. I, I think the yeah. only reason he didn't the last time is because Sotomayor and Kagan got through. Republicans didn't play the obstruction yeah. game. Yeah, and it, and if they hadn't, uh, then they would have uh, added uh, the Supreme Court to the rule change that Harry, Harry Reid had made. I, they, listen, if the Republicans 
don't, if the Democrats filibuster and Gorsuch can't get through and the Republicans don't then exercise this option and get rid of the filibuster, uh, they will be in big, big trouble because that the, you, you and I both know um, the Supreme Court what was a big issue for voters um, all over the country in the last election. Yeah, I mean, I remember Chuck Schumer. Oh, actually, uh, we we have Chuck Schumer saying it himself. Feel about things? We'd much prefer the risk of up or down votes in majority rule than the risk of continued total obstruction. That's the bottom line, no matter who's in power. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much more clear cut it can get than that. Uh, yeah, you notice he changed his mind because he's not he's no longer in power. I mean, he it's like, you know, he has absolutely no principles. The only the only thing of interest to him is the uh, the objective and he's willing to basically do anything to get there even if that means uh, breaking the rules. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, I, I know you were you were at the DOJ for a while, Hans, and they must be the DOJ must be in, in the middle of a lot of the uh, wrangling over the Trump Russia investigation right the 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 russian uh actions during the election trump russia alleged trump russia collusion the leaking of information to harm uh trump uh and the administration all this stuff that's coming together we got a house investigation a senate investigation uh should people trust is is the doj the most likely to be fair-minded agency in this whole process or should we be worried that there may be some deep state actors within the DOJ, too. Well, i got to tell you, uh, having worked there, there are large numbers of the career civil service lawyers there that I do not trust. Um, anybody who thinks that they're all um, uh, nonpartisan, unbiased, uh, you know, career civil servants, uh, obviously doesn't know what they're talking about. The, the, many of the lawyers that I met there were some of the most partisan, uh, left-wing, and biased lawyers I have ever run into anywhere. <laughs> well, that's, that's not reassuring, Hans. <laughs> well, no, I'm afraid it, I'm afraid it isn't, but that's, that's my experience. And, I mean, that's, that's what, you know, John Fund and I uh, talk about in, in our book about the, the Justice Department under Eric Holder. What do you make of this, uh, this contention that Sally Yates was supposed to testify and then wasn't testifying because the White House was blocking her. I mean, can you read between the lines a little bit there for us and tell us what you think happened? Well, I, I don't know what happened. I will tell you that Sa- I think Sally Yates uh, is an unethical blowhard. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, uh, remember what she did. She stayed um, She stayed uh, in the Justice Department uh, after Trump, what, Trump was inaugurated. She was the top uh, person there. And she came out and said, well, the Justice Department isn't going to defend uh, President Trump's uh, executive orders on immigration. She, she violated her ethical duty to defend actions of the president, and she did that purely for political purposes. And what do you make of these lawsuits that are currently uh, getting filed against the administration by individuals who claim that they were affected by the travel ban. Are, are these, I mean, I assume that they obviously can't drag the president into court personally, but are these lawsuits going to go? I mean, the New York Times was reporting on this um, today 
that there are all these different people that that say that they were that their civil rights were violated by the travel ban. Does this turn into a, a class action against the government? How does this proceed? What's going to happen is uh, one or more of these cases is going to end up in the U.S. Supreme Court. It, they're not going to get there until Neil Gorsuch is uh, confirmed. And hopefully what will then happen is the justices will step in and stomp out all these frivolous, meritless lawsuits, because that's what they are. Foreign aliens have no uh, constitutional rights to enter into the United States. And the U.S. Supreme Court has said that on numerous occasions in prior decisions. All these lower court decisions coming to the opposite conclusion are basically refusing to follow prior Supreme Court uh, precedent. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. The, uh, any other areas of lawfare that you expect to be deployed against this administration or that, that we haven't touched on yet today? It seems like the courts and lawsuits are the main progressive. It's like the progressive Maginot line, and hopefully it'll be just like that and that it won't be very effective. But that seems to be what they've got in place. Oh, no, that's it. I, I, I think you should expect to see lawsuits, uh, many of them funded by progressive groups, George Soros and others, against Basically, every single thing uh, President Trump does, every executive order he signs, every new policy he comes in, they're going to sue. Is that going to be effective at slowing down and, and deterring the administration, or are the, are the mechanisms in place reasonably adept at handling this? Well, you've got an entire Justice Department, and if they can finally get all their political appointees in there, then hopefully they will have some good people to fight this litigation. Will it slow down the administration? It may, but from what I've seen of Donald Trump, I don't think it's going to deter him from doing what he uh, promised voters he was going to do during the presidential race. Hans von Spakovsky is a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, author of the book, Obama's Enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department. Hans, great to have you, my friend. Come back soon. Sure, anytime. Oh my, Hillary is back, everybody. Hillary, Hillary's back, and that means it's time for a, a dispatch from the deep state. Foolish Americans, you think you voted. You think you are free. You are wrong. We control you. We make your reality. The media does our bidding. We are the state within a state. We will defeat Trump at all costs. This is Dispatches from the Deep State. Obviously, the outcome of the election wasn't the one I hoped for or worked for, but I will never stop speaking out for common sense benefits that will allow moms and dads to stay on the job. Where some see a dark vision of carnage, I see a light shining on creativity and opportunity. That's right, America. I will never go away. You thought you'd seen the last of me, didn't you? Hillary is never through with you, you silly beer drinkers, you. There are more speeches to give, more lies to tell. Forget pantsuits. Now I wear super cool leather jackets. They call it boss grandma style. Like me, because I'm a boss. Your boss. That's right, Hillary is now the Joan Jett of third-wave feminism. 
I will travel the country screeching about Trump at every chance. You think Obamacare is bad? Wait until Hillary Care 2.0, baby. The Hillary bots in the bureaucracy have their orders. Stop Trump at all costs. Get ready to see much more of me. Because Hillary is going to haunt your dreams. Okay, dispatch is over. This has been Dispatches from the Deep State. Go ahead. Tell people. Nobody will believe you. We are in control. Democracy is an illusion. Have a nice day. I mean, that that Hillary soundbite there, which obviously got a little bit weirder, that was just, that's terrifying stuff, everybody. I don't know what to say. She's going to be around. She's going to keep giving speeches. She is, uh, she was out there. I, and that, that's a real thing, by the way. They're calling her the, the style now because she wore, a black, <laughs> she wore a, black, a black leather jacket. Look, I'm not a fashion critic. I'm not going to pretend. Uh, 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 my girlfriend, Miss Molly, always says that, you know, I, I insist on, on wearing the shoes of a man 30 or 40 years older than I am. Uh, but you know what? They're comfortable. How about that? So I'm not a fashion critic, but I do think it's funny that she, she as part of, it's very obviously part of the Hillary rebranding or, you know, Hillary, I can't even say it's 2.0. I and mean, this is a woman who's had, I think, 14 or 15 books ghost written for her at this point. And she's back out in San Francisco speaking about uh, the you know, all things, right? I mean, she's still, I wonder what she gets paid a speech now. I'll be very curious. I'm sure it's still a lot, but not like Bill Clinton half a million dollars from Russia while they want her uranium kind of money. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but here, here's, uh, here's more of Hillary coming. She said that she's been wandering the woods and thinking about life, and now she's going to tell us about, well, everything. Uh, when Congress and the administration tried to jam through a bill that would have kicked 24 million people off their health insurance, defunded Planned Parenthood, jeopardized access to affordable birth control, deprived people with disabilities and the elderly and nursing homes of essential care, they were met with a wave of resistance. And when this disastrous bill failed, it was a victory for all Americans. Have I punished you have you have I punished your eardrums enough yet? Are are you are you ready to, are you ready to say uncle? You give in? I, I won't play any more Hillary audio for you, I promise. I, I, can, I can hear some of you like, Buck, I am going to change the dial uh, if you stop, if you don't stop at the Hillary clips. I, I have to say there's always I've always had this sense about Hillary that there must be there must be a, a, a hole in her soul that can only be filled with public attention and progressive adulation. Uh, if I were in her situation, I mean, that I just run unsuccessfully for president for the second time uh, and had been through all of the stuff that she'd been through with the investigation and just managed to get away with what otherwise would have been criminal jeopardy. And I, I should just note, as we were talking about prosecutorial discretion before, the only reason Hillary was not charged with a federal crime was because of prosecutorial discretion. That is it. That, that was what the DOJ decided. It was not that the statute doesn't say that she violated it. So you'll notice... To bring this all full circle, Hillary, prosecutorial discretion, undercover journalists in California targeting Planned Parenthood, no prosecutorial discretion. Okay. But if I were Hillary, I've, I've made over $100 million. You know, I've, I, look, she's got, a, she's got a family, she's got a grandchildren. You know, hang out on Nantucket. Have somebody else write a book and put your name on it. But 
really just has to inflict herself upon the American political conversation, which she's already been involved in for like 30 years. Well, more than that. But just, she just won't give it up. And I'm not saying she has to. She has every right to go around and screech about whatever she wants to. But it does make me think, like, this is like, it feels like a compulsion. And I certainly don't want to be hearing from her in the months and years ahead. But I got to tell you something, team, and I don't mean to to spoil your your dinner or your your late lunch here, but um, Hillary's going to be giving a lot of speeches and the media is going to be giving her a lot of airtime. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Let's return to my theory that modern liberalism is a doctrine of hysteria, uh, is a set of hysterical policy positions uh, and there is a that means that there's also a a mania against trump uh we we often talk about well trump certainly talks about and we do too fake news in fact there was that cbs piece from last weekend on fake news and the impact on the election well as i've said to you at what point does recklessness in reporting at what point can we say that's its own form of fake news? It is definitely false news, but maybe it's fake news. And this is a great example of that. In fact, I will even call it a great moment in fake news. This is Great Moments in Fake News. So, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. New York Times goes forward with this story. Now, this is the New York Times. This is the biggest, I think it's the biggest, maybe number two, but I think it's the biggest liberal paper in the country, right? Huge circulation, tons of money, probably would have gone bankrupt if it wasn't bailed out at one point by uh, Mexican billionaire Carlos Slim. Uh, But anyway, New York Times, big paper, right? Lots of fancy people write for the New York Times. And if you go over to MSNBC or CNN and you have a New York Times byline, there's like a reverence with which you are treated that other uh, mere, mere plebs rabble hoi polloi like me do not you know serve serve your country uh, serve your country in a war zone no 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 no. A new, new york times journalist who sits around that that's who we need to that's that's the respect that we need to show okay so uh let's get into this specific piece here the the great the great moment meant ironically in fake news uh they run a story here the trump effect Oh, sorry. Amid Trump effect fear, 40% of colleges see dip in foreign applicants. Now, I also want to add into add into this a subheading here, which is that I believe given how much money goes into these colleges and universities from the taxpayer, given that they rely not just on, uh, in many cases, grants, but also in federal taxpayer backstopping of the student loans, which, as we know, the student loan bubble is a trillion dollars. Yeah, a trillion with a T, everybody. Uh, given all of that, I am of the impression, and this is this is a, this is a policy position, policy preference, that American citizen students should be given preference at American universities. Now, does that sound radical to you? Because it, it is r- radical in the sense that uh, there are students, there were students on my floor in college who clearly had an advantage because of their uh, 
country of of origin, right? Their their uh, their citizenship, non-U.S., was considered a very positive factor in their application process. As in, it's it's better to be from, uh, you know, I, I don't. It's better to be from Hungary or you know Madagascar or what whatever than to be an American applying to some of these schools because you're, you know, you're inher- inherently going to be uh, much more rare as an applicant than somebody. But but is that really should that be factored in? I, I know this is a digression, and I should get back to the task at hand here. But I just wanted to say I feel like American citizens should get preference over non-citizens in it's especially in state schools but in general that would to me be the way i would i also think that there's a national security implication to this when you're talking i know people all buck that's crazy really uh we're training uh, engineers and scientists and mathematicians and uh i don't know nuclear physicists astrophysicists people with aerospace expertise and and they go back to foreign countries afterwards. Why? What? What is the? What, what's the idea there? You know, think think about that one for a second. I do think there are national security implications to uh, the admissions to top U.S. colleges and universities. And given how progressive their admissions committees are, I'm sure they don't see it that way. But I digress. Okay, the Trump effect: forty percent of colleges see a dip in foreign applicants. The story here, the New York Times is running with. And they may have, since I've gone on air or since I was uh, reading about this earlier in the day, they they may have updated the story to reflect this. I'm sure they probably have because they've gotten a lot of heat from it. But they're trying to say that Trump is so hated around the world and his Muslim ban and all these policies are are so uh, jarring and upsetting to international students that they don't want to come to school in America. I've seen other stories like this, too. Oh, you know, the, and they're usually anecdotal. Here they're using data. Because we all know that the anecdotal story, which is, a, that, that's one of the main ways that the media plays games about where they come from on a certain issue, what their perspective is. It's, you know, the, the story will start out, you know, uh, you know, so-and-so is the valedictorian of her class and and works in a soup kitchen and is... The greatest human being ever, but, you know, uh, she's in the country illegally and immigration authorities want her to show up for her next. That obviously has given you a a perspective, a certain context for the story that's meant to be favorable to one side or the other. Right. We we can all figure that out. Anecdotal evidence is it's not that it is irrelevant, but it's just what you see what their hand is. They tip their hand to you by which anecdotes they include in the story. So you've seen people say, oh, well, you know, our, a student from wherever, a student from Qatar doesn't want to come to America now because of the Muslim ban or something. Here they're saying 40% of colleges see a, a dip in foreign applicants, which that's, you know, it's almost half. Very substantial data point. And anybody reading, and a lot of people, by the way, just as you know, read headlines, you see headlines on Twitter. The headline in the first couple of sentences in a story is by far the most important. Not just for the the reader who reads the whole thing, but the most important, because a lot of people don't even, you know, we, we judge books by their covers. A lot of people just read the cover. They just want it to look good on the coffee table. I get it. Uh, but people don't read into the, you know, five or six paragraphs where they get into more detail. And I can understand at this point, you're like, Buck, why is this fake news? Well, here's the real, the, the, the study that they have that they use for this 40% of colleges see a dip in foreign applicants 
and hat tip to the Wall Street Journal for pointing this out, says that 39%, I'm sorry, 35% reported an increase. So 40% of schools got less international applicants. 35% got more international applicants. And 26% had no change. This is a total non-story story. There, there is no story here at all unless you completely cherry pick the data and you decide that you're just going to run with this headline because it's why not? It's it's fun to uh, that. But this then think about this for a moment. It's so sloppy. It's so and I don't think the New York Times is I think there are the writers are are they're talented writers. I think they're talent, very talented propagandists. And I think a lot of them believe very strongly in what they do. I don't think they're particularly honest about it. I think in some cases they're very dishonest about it. But that's that's my opinion. At least I share my opinions as such. They pretend that they're just fact or it's journalism. But how could they be so sloppy? This is not a sort of kind of maybe error. This is if you look at the study, you see that there's nothing there. There are only two explanations. Uh, one explanation is that the Times is so dishonest, and this is not the only, by the way, the Washington Post with its Russia fake news stories about the sites they had to, you know, it was based on information that was unverified, the source was sketchy, and they had to retract it, and, you know, this is not the first time we've, we've seen, oh, the, also the Russians getting into a Vermont utility company, where an electric company or something like that, I mean, these are major stories that they ran with that they had to just completely either retract or correct the central premise of, which is really the same as a retraction. They just don't call it a retraction. How do they how do they make such a sloppy error? How do they make a mistake like this? Uh, you, there, are, As I said, there are two ways that you can view it. You can say on the one hand that they they knew that this was bogus, but they wanted to go with it because it adds to the narrative that is... Remember, their their readership likes that narrative. We read this and go, why would they do this? They're they're antagonizing people with falsehoods. But for their readership, you know, 90, 95 percent of the Times readership, it thinks that anything that's anti-Trump is great. Anything that is another data point to bring up at a cocktail party. Hello, did you read that thing? about the foreigners who won't come to America for college anymore because of Trump? Oh, he's so vile. Their audience likes to read this. And so they go out there with the story. And by the way, it also has a propaganda effect that is that lingers, that lasts, because not everyone will see any retraction. They'll just see the initial headline. Or they won't see the update to the story. They'll just see what it was initially trotted out as. So that's one option, is that it is in... And then it would be, by the way, it would be fake news. That's the old, that is a completely accurate... If they are running with a story... That is a non-story because they just picked out one data point and ignored all of the others. That is obviously fake news. And and, and by anyone's definition. The other option that I have to tell you I think is more likely is that they are sloppy. They are sloppy with this uh, because... This this then becomes an issue of modern liberalism as a doctrine of hysteria because they are hysterical about how bad Trump is and it is affecting their judgment. Even a place like the New York Times that has a huge subscriber base and I know there's a lot of money going into that place. 
and has a big reputation, at least to liberals, to uphold. They are overcome with their hatred for this administration, and so it makes them sloppy. But isn't that also then a moment where you could say if it's not fake news, it's at least false news? And this was certainly false news. So those are the options. And, you know, this won't get this won't get uh, you won't have a lot of the the people in media whose job it is to correct other people in media or, you know, the, the media reporters who report on other media reporters. Uh, they're not going to see this as anything other than just a, 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 you know, a glitch, a little situation that came up and, you know, who really cares? But it's yet another data point that we see that it's just an inexcusable error unless it's intentional propaganda meant to damage the administration doesn't matter that it's not true because by the time they correct it they've already gotten the impact of the attack so it's of net benefit to their side or they are so full of hatred for trump that they are detached from their journalistic practices and they're willing to sacrifice their own integrity one way or the other in this process there's really not a third option it's just those two. So I think this is fake news. It's just a question of why it's fake news. Where does it come from? I want to get into some of the fights over free speech that have been happening in uh, on college campuses uh, in recent days. There have been a whole bunch of stories, including one up in Canada that I've been mentioning on the show um, earlier in the, uh, wow, I got to tell you, I'm watching this right as I'm on air with you. I'm, I'm watching this T. I'm sorry to change the subject in, in mid-sentence here, uh, but this TSA pat-down, I had not seen this before. And I, I, I you know, wow, um, we, we got to deal with this. This is completely preposterous i'm seeing this this video they just ran it on on fox of a of a kid a young kid who's being just really patted down given all of this uh inspection physical inspection you know it's amazing to me we we allow the federal government to do that to us and to our children apparently and yet uh I, I don't know. Anyway, I just sorry. I saw that and it it, it upset me as I was on air. I, I don't, we need to stop the the nonsense about well, just to make we don't want anyone to feel like they're being singled out. That actually might be a threat. So let's let's pat down a bunch of ten year old kids uh, with the TSA. It's insane. All right, back to college stuff. Sorry about that. Um, so Pierce College is one of these places where they've designated a free speech zone. Uh, this is a fascinating circumstance. Colleges, you would think the entirety of a college should be a free speech zone. Um, but in fact, now we, we've gone from uh, speech codes that limit what you can say to you now just officially designating certain parts of a college campus as places where you can say stuff at all. Uh, Pierce College, which I have to admit I've never heard of before. I'm sure it's a lovely place. Uh, had a student that was barred from handing out, this is on the, the Daily News and hat tip drudge for this one, uh, barred from handing out copies of the U.S. Constitution on campus because he was not, he was not in fact in the college's designated free speech zone. 
I, you see, I was under this this foolish impression that a, the entirety of the college campus would be a free speech zone and that colleges would be governed by the First Amendment, both in principle and as a matter of law. But now I, I have to say that that's just not true anymore. And I, I wish that uh, we could <clears throat> we could say that this is something that <clears throat> would only affect the campuses. But if you go back and those of you who have seen uh, the movie PCU, which is, I, I highly recommend, this is among Jeremy Piven's finest works. Uh, PCU is very entertaining. It's uh, probably now, I'm sure there's some things in it that would be considered, you know, I don't know. A- anything that was funny in the 90s is now at risk of, of being too edgy or raunchy or uh, something. I mean, it, it's too offensive now, you know. Uh, but PCU is a movie that I think is pretty is pretty funny, and it deals with this issue. But it used to be that we would see this stuff on campuses, and the thought was, well, this is the this is the distillation of crazy, right? This is the progressive insanity is allowed to run wild on campus in a way that it it can't in the broader society, in, in a way that doesn't really happen in day to day America. And this was you know, political correctness as a term really came into use what in the eighties and in the nineties, and that may have been true then. This far left progressive lunacy was largely, not entirely, but largely confined to, oh, it's so funny, actually. Uh, anyway, side note, side note, I just, I see the, the headline on Fox now is PC madness. I'm like, no, no, I swear I didn't, I, we didn't coordinate this at all. They're just talking about an email on the, on Fox News and the monitor in here. I can't, I can't hear them, but I saw PC madness. I'm like, wait, what? They're doing that too? Um, but it was confined to the campuses then. What's happened, though, is that a generation of people who were in college and part of that indoctrination in the 90s, and I just, I'm just i just a little too young for that to be the case with me, but it's still true, obviously, for my generation. But people that are 10, 15 years older than me who are in the age cohort now where they're running stuff, they have made this ideology from the campus the governing ideology of the Democratic Party. The campus laboratory of crazy has, you know, the 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 Bunsen burners and the beakers have shattered, and the and the 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 monster is now out of the lab. I mean, it's out there in broader society, and we see this now on campus, getting even crazier. Where it's not just about prohibiting certain speech; it's about uh, becoming violent in response to speech. Anyway, I, I've just I'm really setting up more of this discussion later on in the week. We'll talk about some examples of the campus madness because it's. A window into the progressive mind and the Democratic Party's mind, too, not just college kids. Uh, please download the show. Uh, go on iHeartRadio to listen on demand and uh, share it. Post it on your Facebook page if you don't mind. On iTunes, subscribe to Buck Sexton with America Now. See you all tomorrow. Looking forward to it. As always, Shield Time.